Knoxville Tower, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, taxi via Alpha Taxiway. No delay, wind 2904, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, clear for takeoff, traffic 3 mile final. Read back correct, tower for taxi, have a good flight. Welcome to From the Runway Up. I'm Becky. And I'm Caitlin. And we work in the Public Relations Department at McGee Tyson Airport in Knoxville, Tennessee. We understand that going behind the scenes in an airport these days isn't as easy as it used to be. So that's where this podcast comes in. Each episode, we'll give you a behind-the-scenes look of current events at our airport and in the aviation industry as a whole. So fasten your safety belts and join us on this aviation adventure. In continuing our series of marrying two topics and looking at it for two episodes this month and looking at it from different perspectives, this month we're going to talk about engineering and planning and airport master planning. And we're also going to look at GIS, the geographical information systems of how you plan at an airport and marry that into your local and surrounding regional entities for, uh, you know, where the power line runs and how information is passed from organization to an organization these days. So today's episode, we're going to focus on the master planning process. Yeah. And it's not something that, you know, our average traveler or even us maybe every day think about the airport master plan, but it is a huge part of every airport and of the aviation system. And you would hope every organization has some kind of strategic or long-term plan so that they can be looking for funding opportunities or ways to change that if the flow of their organization should change. You know, always being ready and being flexible, but also looking forward is what a master plan helps an airport do. So today, we have two guests that are the industry experts when it comes to airport master plans and engineering and planning. So we have Brian White, who is the vice president of engineering and planning here at the Metropolitan Knoxville Airport Authority. And he has actually joined us on a few other podcasts, I believe, in the past. And then we have a new guest, Mr. Bill Barley. He is the market segment vice president of aviation at CHA. And then here at Mickey Tyson Airport, he helps us with project management. We are so excited today to be talking about airport planning. I know you might not think it's the sexiest subject you've heard, but it is really, really important to the future growth of an airport, which impacts you as a traveler coming in and out of our facility. Yeah, so Brian and Bill, thank you so much for being in our podcast studio today. Just for our listeners, could you just kind of dive into what's so important about planning for an airport and what are the few things that goes into planning for an airport? I'll speak first and then let Bill have it. I think for the airport, the first thing to think about is planning happens at all levels in engineering, so to speak. So I I took over 2005. Uh, The first thing I did as an act was rename the department uh, engineering and planning. So prior to that, it was just the department of engineering. So if you're asking me how important is planning, it's important enough now to relabel the entire department with the word planning. I think everything we do around here, we look through planning eyes. Something else we've been doing since 2005, I'll let Bill drill down a little bit to the master plan, but I just want to talk concepts and how we view things locally, is it started a process that every project we do, and most things around an airport or a project, you just about name it, can be defined as a project. So one of the other things we do is planning and programming. So anything that we want to do, traditional methods where you just uh, kind of, in your mind, said, well, we needed a shed, you went out and hired a designer and and they designed the shed and and you used it. Well, what we do now is part of our culture is we say we need a shed. And this is just a metaphorical shed. You name the project, whatever it may be. It could be a she shed, but we specialize in he sheds. uh, Or the shed could be the runway. I'm getting better at the she sheds. Yeah. (laughs) 
so uh, universal design. So in essence, what we do now is we get the users together, we get maintainers, we get varied groups of people around the table, and we plan and we program to this shed. And usually what goes on is you learn a lot uh, in those sessions that you may not have uh, understood that you thought this shed would be used for. So in essence, planning and programming that we use for all approaches around here, they formulate all of the questions, so to speak. And the design is the answer to those questions. So kind of the old traditional uh, tried and true engineering path over the decades has been to just jump straight to design. The modern more concept is plan and program, formulate all the questions, and then it shifts to design. And that design should specifically answer all the questions that you've came up with. So to me, planning is the most important thing that we actually do at the airport. Obviously, everything we do rotates around uh, safety of the travelers, safety of users. But after that, step one certainly is planning and program. The planning and programming, is that just the airport authority engineering department or do you bring other organizations into that planning and programming? Great question. So it's, it's a, it's an, you know, others know this. It's, it's nothing that, that, that I invented. If, if anybody thinks I'm trying to say that, it's completely wrong. But it's concepts. I, I was well guided early in my career by a very senior architect. When you look in the architectural world of doing things, they do planning and programming. It's just part of their way of doing business the way they're taught. In the engineering field, I have to say all of my training, experience, and early career you just almost kind of went straight to design. After Tom clubbed me in the head enough times, I finally started kind of drinking of the Kool-Aid and I I realized, man, this is a very powerful tool. So we require all of our consultants to do it. We've got guidelines on how to plan and program, or we'll look at your planning and programming and adopt it. I will say in 06, even our State Department of Aeronautics that hands grants out for airports to do work was unaware of the planning and program. It was something I had to go to them and and educate, you know, kind of uh, cheerlead for, if you will, to let them understand that I need a $20,000 grant to do planning and programming for we'll go back to the shed to build a shed. And they would just say, well, why don't you just get designed to build the shed? And I would say, I don't know what the design scope will look like because I don't know all the needs of this facility. So that so now it's really reached out to where I'd like to say that it's pretty much part of the state culture at aeronautics as well. So for, for me, it is what we do, but it's also what we require our consultants and others that do business with us to do as well. Well, and I think it's interesting that it's not just a runway that you're talking about planning. It's any kind of project in the building itself. So when we, as the customer service and public relations people, get repetitive comments about a need or a change in progress or at the facility, uh, we go to engineering to begin that planning process to see how it fits in or how it can be included in the design of the facility and how it would best be utilized. And a lot of projects are born out of that, trying to meet and continue to meet the demands of the traveling public and using planning to do that. That's one thing you just said that's kind of key to our planning and programming. Usually what comes out of the process, if we're doing a planning and programming session, let's say for project A, 
there's a good likelihood that there'll be a project B and C birthed out of that, that we now can master plan and we now can put somewhere in the ACIP and we can develop it and kind of learn for it. That's, that's the biggest thing that a side importance or side impact is, is it lets us identify all those secondary projects. Well, and it's, it's much bigger than that because you said the buzzword there, you said master plan. So for an airport, we are required to do a master plan, which is a 20 year look at where we see our development and future going so that when there is available funding, we're ready to jump on a project we know that will help us as we look at things. So help our listeners understand what a master plan is and how an airport uses that to guide its its growth for the next 20 years. Bill, I'm going to, as, as a national resource, I'm going to bow to you. Because <laughs> this is something every airport goes through. It's not just here at McGee Tyson. Every airport has a master plan. That is correct. They, they should. If they, if they want to be eligible for FAA funding, they will have a master plan. But basically, the, the master plan, it's a comprehensive review and outlook it's a review of, an, of existing facilities and a look outward based on data. It's based on forecast data of aircraft operations and passenger emplanements. So basically, what, what is the demand that's placed on an airport? What are the facilities that you currently have? And what needs to be done to those facilities to meet the demand? Uh, usually... The, the demand increases over time, but it does take into account, well, what would happen if the demand decreased? So you may need to decrease the size of your facility if that were the case. Most of the time, at least what we see in, in the industry today is that, that with passenger emplanements growing at an all, all-time high, most of the facilities are expanding across the country. But what it does is it gives an airport organization the ability to step back look at what their facility is, what does their facility mean to their community, what's your, what's the role in the community, how does it meet the needs of passengers, cargo carriers, military, anyone that would use the facility, how many runways, how many gates at the terminal, how many parking spaces are needed, what's the roadway system, how does that work, are the utilities enough to handle the demand. You know, so it really does take a, a big comprehensive look at it. You know, obviously the the FAA, you know, believes it's valuable. They they want it done because they'll follow on with investments into the actual brick and mortar. So they plan it. So if you plan it and say it's needed, it's easier to help secure the funding for it because you've really took time and included it in your planning process. Yeah, the the FAA will not fund something that you cannot justify the need for. So the the master plan helps you as an organization justify the need. So when you're when you're investing public dollars, whether they're FAA state or your own local dollars, you know, you want to be good stewards of that resource. And the planning process allows you to make an investment to determine, you know, what is the purpose of the project? What's the need of the project? When is it needed? Uh, how much will it, will it really cost? You know, you know, you bring your financing into it. You bring the whole the whole package. So, the the master plan gives you that comprehensive look. What Brian was talking about earlier is the programming. The master plan will identify a lot of the things that'll need done, but but there is that programming step that if you don't do, if you move right from a concept that's shown on a master plan into design, you're going to miss something. So you're going to take that concept and then you're going to refine it through the programming process to establish, okay, this is what this runway really needs to be. This is what it will really cost. And this is about how long it will really take to get done. Those those kinds of things. So 
How often does an airport do a master plan? Generally, I would say you would refresh it every five years, um, and that's a and that doesn't have to be a complete project, but it would just be a, a refresh of what your short-term capital needs are. One of the products that comes out of the master plan is, is the five-year airport capital improvement plan. Within that five-year period, a lot of times, you know, something might change. You've accomplished certain things. Other things may not have been done. So a refresher of the five-year plan is, is typically done. In general, though, even though the planning horizon is 20 years, you know, we, we typically see most airports do a, a complete master plan somewhere in that 10-year time frame. Now, and that can vary. If things are marching along and the forecast that you had 10 years ago still seem to make sense and all the development plan seems to make sense, no, you can, you can back off and, and maybe go 15 to 20 years before you do a real big one. But if, if things have changed significantly... You've added several new carriers or you've had you know, new tenants come on the air, airfield or something. If there's a, a new demand that wasn't foreseen in the previous process, yes, you, you may want you may go in anywhere between five and ten years and, and, and do a complete relook. Just depends on what actually occurs. And we're actually going through the master planning process right now because we have a lot of things that are changing in our facility. Um, we're really on that. You mentioned earlier how people are continuing to grow and planments are continuing to grow. We're really there. So tell us a little bit about where we are in our master planning process and some of the things that we're looking at. So if I could do 30 seconds and then let Bill, he's actually the uh, CHA is actually the team that's working through it. And and it's a team. uh, I want to say that up front. The master plan is viewed from the FA is very flexible. It lets us look at the pieces and parts as Bill talked about. We don't have to do the full blown every time. We can just look at areas that we know are changing. Take, for example, the airport layout plan is, is a set of the master plan. Three years ago, we did the ALP, the airport layout plan. That specifically looks at the airfield and runways, airspace, all of that associated with the airfield. We did it about three years ago as part of our uh, runway modernization project. So that had to be done. That had to be updated. That had to be approved before we could move forward with the uh, finished product, 10,000-foot finished product runway that we're going to have. So the part we're actually doing now is the master plan part of it. It's the facilities. It's the looking at the roadways and everything else. I'm getting ready to pitch it to Bill, so if you can get to thinking. But right now, the part we're looking at is we've gone through, we've we've done the existing conditions survey. We, we know what our terminal looks like, what our parking looks like, what our roadways look like. And, and now we're somewhat in between looking at terminal needs forecast. We're trying to look at where we are now, overlay our growth, overlay everything that we've gained on it, and provide a few alternatives for what some solutions may look like in the master plan. That's essentially where we are, kind of broad scope, but I won't be able to kind of maybe talk about each individual piece a little bit better, if you will. Yeah. So, one of the things that recently happened that threw a little monkey wrench at us was the announcement by Allegiant to make it a base. Now, now, what that does is that impacts the forecast. So the forecast of in-plane passengers and the forecast of operations. And in this case, it's primarily the in-plane passengers that were impacted by that announcement. So our team had to take that data uh, with a lot of input from the authority and then the organization here. You know, we went back and we, we had already submitted the uh, forecast to the FAA, but with the announcement of Allegiant, making this a base, we wanted to go back and revise those. Um, What we're finding is 
that a lot of the recommendations that we had in terms of the facility requirements, well, they don't change. They just move up in time. So More people so the, means the trigger points or the, the touch points that would trigger that development would be sooner than later. Yes. So, so it's not that we didn't foresee a legion at some point in time or any carrier at some point in time making some investments in passengers increasing. It just happened to be that right after we submitted to FAA and got their comments back the announcement was made so so we thought okay back to we, the drawing board yeah we we <laughs> sh- we should take we should circle back you know before we make recommendations and go so what that's done is is there'll be a couple things you know within the recommendations of the plan now that move up in time and in this case like Brian said we're we're primarily focused on landside facilities because the runway in the airfield was looked at five years ago or so, three years ago. Maybe. Or maybe a year and a half. We're <laughs> yeah, not maybe sure. Maybe a year and a half. I'm pretty sure it was approved in 2014 or 15. Wow. So, um, that was yeah. like yesterday. But in these facilities, we, you know, we start at the terminal and we work our way out a, a little bit. So based on the emplanements, we look at the terminal sizing. We look at hold rooms. We look at number of gates. That expands off into the ticking area, ticketing areas and bag claims. And then it moves right on out into the parking facility, how you handle, um, you know, ground transportation, be it taxis, Uber, Lyft, you know, what is their impact on on your curb front traffic. Um, A lot of the data we look at takes into account the type of airport you want to be. You know, do you, you want to be a place where people are comfortable, it's easy to get through, you're not feeling rushed. So those are the things that, that helps us plan your facilities. If that's the type of environment you want, which it is, then, then your facilities will be a little bit different than maybe a mega hub is, uh, you know, where you're dealing with a lot of transfer passengers, like maybe in Atlanta or Charlotte. Well, and for our listeners, one of the things that is key, he is looking, they are looking at the parking situation because that is one of the situations that is at a critical point for us. And we get lots of feedback from our listeners and from the people in our community about the parking out here. And we are getting really close to one of those touch points that requires us to do additional things. So be patient with us as we work through that, but know that we are working on it. We are planning for it. It is not as simple as erecting an extension to a parking garage overnight or doing whatever we need to do. It takes time and diligence to determine what is the best financial decision that would also impact our listeners and and the costs that are here at the terminal building, but also that will withstand time and be supported by future travelers coming through our facility. And if I may, you made a key point. I'd like to kind of just go through a real world example that happened here. This was maybe 2006 or seven. We as an agency were moving forward to build phase four of the parking garage, and it would have been over the overflow lot on the east side of the parking garage. We had that lined up. It was a tremendously expensive effort. If memory serves, it was somewhere between 35 and $40 million for this parking garage expansion. Wow. Not cheap at all. You know, we do provide a public service, but we're kind of a, a real agency with real people, with real financial concerns as well. So, you know, our efforts are never to sink ourselves while we do anything, but we thought this is the right thing. We looked at the return on the investment. We looked at how we could fund it. And then 2008 happened, and and air travel suffered. It went flatline for us. Luckily, it didn't go negative. It just went flat. We all know what went on with the economy, and we made the right decision and took that project off the shelf. After that, I think that was the last optimal time I recall to build a garage. You know, you're looking at surface parking now. Let's just you know, 1800 to 2000 
dollars of space. And if you go garage parking, you're looking at potentially $20,000 of space. So there's a big difference between garage parking and surface parking. And a lot of that just plays into how we plan. We think, uh, we think to ourselves that at some point we were going to build a, a new garage, but we don't know that that's really the right thing to do as an agency. So we look at surface parking. You know, the economy's gotten picked up. There's a lot of players that come into that from the TDOT roadway that we're addressing and understanding and building to to just the everyday traveler that comes out and parks. You know, we try to understand that and, and work our way through it. And we are at critical mass on parking. It's something we've had our, our eyes on, our mind on for several years. And it just seems as if overnight the economy has really picked up travel-wise. And, and just to reflect back when we were talking about the Allegiant announcement, you know, that that's great, that's exciting, that's wonderful news. But, you know, in, in my world, in my mind, the first thing I heard was, oh, dear God, that's, you know, that's just more uh, more pressure on our already pressured parking spot. So that was my internalization as to what I heard with the Allegiant announcement. And, and that's things we're trying to solve with the master plan. But you're, we're really trying to juggle the needs of a bunch of different agencies from the airlines to the traveling passenger to TSA, to you name it, that use our airport. All of those have to fit into these needs and have to be served with projects that we do. Well, and Bill mentioned too how we even have to think about curbside space, you know, for people that are picking up these travelers that are coming on these new Allegiant flights. And we just recently opened another cell phone and weight lot to accommodate those travelers. And for those of you who don't know what a cell phone lot is, it's you don't have to leave your vehicle. And it really works for families if you're coming out with kids at late at night to pick someone up or you want to do a, just a quick drive by and pick up. It's a lot designated for you to stay in your vehicle. Someone gets their bag and they call you and you pull around the front just to pick up so that you're not circling the airport or you're not sitting out in the front taking curb space over an extended amount of time. So it allows everybody to be able to get in and out of that area safely. So it's a wonderful time. So we're getting ready to uh, end our podcast today. I thought that I would just throw out a question there of how the public could possibly get involved in the planning process here, either through sending us emails or um, submitting information on what it is, because we've given excellent examples throughout this podcast about how we've gotten feedback and comments and started looking at projects to try to make a difference. But how do people get involved in the planning process at an airport? And I'm going to say that question's for Bill, and can I add to it? And what's some examples you've seen across the country of, of other airports that's gotten public input? Oh, there's there's several, and it all depends on the size and complexity of the plan that, that, that you do and you put forth. So there are times when we'll come out and do a user survey, you know, in inside the terminal. So uh, there might be staff that actually interview passengers if they're willing to, you know, answer a couple questions to the interviewers. That, that's one way. Um, there's other ways, and probably the most typical is a uh, public workshop that we hold you know, at some point in time through the planning process that invites the public to come in, look at what's been done, and comment on some of the concepts that we, we have put forth and that the authority you know, views as, as maybe viable and, and would like to get some further input from the users of the facility before final decisions are made. Obviously, you know, some email comments, you know, working through Becky, your organization, and Caitlin, you guys, as far as the public affairs and bringing some comments in that way. Uh, those, those are the, I would say, the more, the more traditional ways the, that we seek and obtain public input. But it's often 
always considered when there's a project that we're considering what its impacts are going to be on the travelers that come through here who will be using the facility if we don't have a good grasp on how that works we always go out to the community to try to get feedback on what their thoughts are in regards to this uh, no matter how small and most of the time it's through our department through public relations and customer service and it could be as simply as having our customer service agents asking questions when they're assisting passengers you know what would improve their processes going through the airport Um, and what we do is take all that back to the planning department for its consideration in our planning to go forward so we want to encourage our listeners to try to get as involved in the planning process as possible you can do that in a lot of ways right caitlin Mm -hmm. yes you can email us at info at tys.org and we always um, read those and then forward information whether it be to brian or anybody else on our management team for consideration and from engineering planning we're always looking for public input and i would say my biggest frustration is it's very hard to get public input other than someone's, you know, an issue that rightfully so they're frustrated about. But when we're just reaching out for input of just, you know, Joe or Jane Traveler, you know, we appreciate input. We want thoughtful input. We want real issues. The way we are natured as people, what we usually get is when somebody has an issue or a problem or elsewise needs to vent, you know, those come up. But we do take those serious and look at them and see if there is some basis in them. But the more input, you know, we go out to the airlines, FAA, you name it, GA uh, users, that's, that's another public body that we get a lot of input from here. Those all have an organization, so to speak, that we can go out and grab the organization, but there's not really a citizen organization, so it makes it hard just to grab a couple of travelers, and maybe the wrong wording, and ask them questions. So I, I would ask that if you're part of groups or civic groups or you name it, those are great ways to have a maybe an airport concern in that uh, civic organization. And now it's easier for us to get to you because you're kind of an organized body. An actual recent example of that is we received uh, input. I don't know if it was from an actual travel or a group, but they requested that we have watery filling stations on our concourse. And now we have them. So we don't just say, email us your suggestions. We actually look at them and do our best to implement them. We were so behind the times by not having water refill stations. <laughs> but now we I mean, are. We all travel with, with I mean, nobody the really. 19th century. No, I'm just <laughs> it's true. I mean, that's, you know, any, any facility today has things like that. It just. Uh, yep. And sometimes it just takes that one traveler to give us a little push and then. To make us realize. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. So, Bill, ending on this one last question, not to pitch you on the spot, but to kind of pitch you on the spot. Um, Let's all stare at him. Okay. We are. Would you say that Mickey Tyson Airport is is doing a good job at planning for the future in comparison to airports across the country, or what can we do better? As, as far as doing a good job of planning and looking at your facilities, you know, I can say, you know, Brian and his planning and engineering team, as, as a group, they, they really want to serve their customers well and their customers meaning everybody that uses the airport i I feel that's a desire that comes from everybody and part of the culture of the the team that i get to work with as we as we do the plan so and i think at the heart of it that's key because through their efforts and through the work that we're doing on the master plan the idea is how can we make it better you know that's at the end of the day the whole planning process is is how how can we make the facilities associated with McGee Tyson Airport and Downtown Island Airport. How can we make them better for the people that use the facility? How can we make it better for the neighbors? How can we make it better for anyone that touches it? How can it represent your community the best in the best possible way? So, 
you know, from that perspective, I think Brian and the team here do a great job on the planning side. There is a balance of how much planning do you do? You know, you can plan forever and never get anything done. I've seen organizations go that way. So there's the, you know, what's the right balance of investment up front in the planning activities and then moving forward with, okay, here's the plan. This is the next five years. This is what we've got to do. Let's go get that done and kind of cycle it right on back. And I think the timing for us has been right. When we first started working here, it was it was the runway. You know, that was the big issue in getting the airfield up to speed and up to standards and, and taking care of some pavement issues that we had out there. But now, you know, I think there's some there's some pressure points on, on the terminal facility that have come to light through the process that we've gone through. And there will be a capital plan associated with those things. And how can the airport best improve those facilities and bring them up to the level of, of service that you want them to be? To me, that's exciting. I think so, too. So the one thing I'm going to take away from this is the phrase, let's go get this thing done. Because that sounds like we're planning for it, and now let's go do it. So engineering helps us do that, and the planning has a plan of what needs to be done instead of just arbitrarily going out there and just fixing things as they become, and we are reactionary to it. Having a plan in place makes us better prepared to meet the needs of the traveling public. And if our listeners want to do some light reading and look at our master plan, is it available? The executive summary is on our website at flyknoxville.com. That is the abbreviated version of a much, 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 much larger plan. But if they want a copy of the plan, it's we will provide it. And that's the 2005 plan. We, right. We're currently updating it, so those will be available. Bill, what do you think time frame for we'll finish this one? Mm, I think realistically we're looking at Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving oh. to Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody, Perfect right? Christmas so, present. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and a public input session between now and then. Thank you so much, Brian and Bill, for being on our podcast this month. And thank you all so much for listening. I feel like I've learned so much more about the importance of airport master plans. There is something new to learn every time you get in a room with these guys and talk about what is in store and how much the public can play a role in what an airport looks like in 20 years. It's just amazing. And Brian and Bill mentioned a lot of really important documents. And so what we're going to do, we have created a new podcast website. It's called fromtherunwayup.com. And for each episode, we are going to create a show notes page that has quick links to references and documents that we've mentioned. So if you want to learn more, you can look at these documents and learn a little bit more about the things that you're interested in. One of the examples would be they mentioned the master planning process and the existing master plan. And while that's a huge document, we do have an executive summary that we'll link off from the show notes on this episode. In addition to the website from the runwayup.com, we also have ways for you to interact with us on Twitter and Facebook. So get on there and let us know what you think about each of the episodes. And then also let us know what you might want to hear as a topic coming down the road. On our Facebook and our Twitter and Instagram, we post behind the scenes photos. So I don't know what you all imagine that Becky and I look like whenever we're recording these podcasts, <laughs> but we post the behind the scenes pictures there. So if you're interested in that, that's kind of a fun thing that that we share as well. Very scary. Yeah. <laughs> so our next episode is going to look again at airport master planning and engineering, but we are going to focus more on GIS and how that plays a role in the airport system as a whole. So we look forward to you tuning in next time.